listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Faith and Other Oddities. We're glad to be back. We're just jumping into Samuel, First uh, Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, we got just a little ways. I think we got like, what, eight verses in? It's something like that. So, Not far at all. Um, before we get too far ahead, I do want to uh, mention something, just kind of uh, put it out there. Um, we have seen a, a good increase of traffic on our Facebook page, which is great, the Raven Creek Social Club page. Mm-hmm. And thank you for that. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, we hope you're enjoying what we're putting out there. Uh, just one thing I want to mention, um, I have been seeing a lot of like friends request, mm-hmm. um, just to let you know that I don't do hardly anything with Raven Creek on my personal page and I'm not trying to be rude if I don't accept it. Um, the main thing is I just, there's a lot of pictures I post like of my family, you know, for mm-hmm. my family and, and, and friends. So really there's nothing, there's not much there for you. Uh, <laughs> feel free to pee, uh, you know, private message me and we can chat that way. Um, if you're interested, but just mainly it's, you know, if I don't know you or, <laughs> or see enough mutual friends, um, I'm not trying to be rude. It's mainly just, I, without any context, I don't know who you are. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's mainly for, for the protection of my girls. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's uh, just the you know, day they, we live in. Yeah. They didn't ask to be part of this. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but yeah, just, I, and so that's. I just want to throw that out there. So I appreciate everyone um, who's who's part of that, and uh, I'll be more than happy to interact on the the Raven Creek page. Um, and mm-hmm. I will be there doing some stuff. But uh, yeah. that's that's all I had to say on that. So <laughs> thanks for for understanding. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've got a lot of people, and you, we look forward to actually uh, interacting with them. And I actually, I think. I'm almost to the cap on personal friends I can have. Mm-hmm. So that's my other big thing. So it, it's uh, interesting to be in this situation because the first time you get recognized when you're out and about, oh, you're that person who it, it's a weird feeling. I haven't had that. I mean, that that's okay. I'm, I, <laughs> no, it's, I can, it happens and it's weird. Because <laughs> take it or leave it. But um, so, yeah, that, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's cool, but again, I, I do appreciate everyone who's who's been supporting us and who's been on the page. That's absolutely, definitely and the page been is just the beginning because we want to have more conversations. A lot of those happen actually at the paddle st- paddle store. Which it, the yeah, the Raven Creek Paddle Store. It's a it's a uh, private Facebook group where we we do have kind of a little more in depth conversation. We do that um, for our Patreon supporters just to kind of keep the a- uh, keep the the trolls uh, down. Yeah, well, you know, we got to have some kind of perk for supporting us. Yeah. Of course, you can't get a coffee mug, so, or a t-shirt. And yeah, so. coffee mug, t-shirt, or both. I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Okay. So anyway. Well, all of the, the housekeeping. Yeah, it's just a little housekeeping stuff. So, yeah, let's get on with it. Um, yeah, so we, we actually finished with Hannah's prayer. Uh, well, we didn't finish with Hannah's prayer. That's where we ended last week's episode. And we were kind of going through some of the things, uh, the elements of her prayer. And we had reached the point where she promises that if God will give her a son, no razor will touch his head. And this has been like one of those phrases that has caused a lot of controversy among Bible scholars. Is this her vowing to make her son a Nazarite? Or is this some kind of other vow? I mean, we only have that phrase when we're referring to Nazarites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we don't understand really what's going on here um, because there's no mention of grapes, unclean foods, or dead bodies. And those were also part of that Nazarite vow, things that needed to happen. And that's the reason why some scholars are saying, absolutely not. This is not a Nazarite vow. This is something else that's happening. However, like a Nazarite light. <laughs> yeah, right. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the thing is, the Septuagint actually includes, and this is also in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it includes the phrase, in wine and strong drink, he will not drink. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you think, well, that clears it up. Not really, because... Unless it, it might be a scribal insertion? 
it, it might be. It might be by the time that the Septuagint was written that this tradition of Samuel being a Nazarite was so firmly established that the, the writer decided to help make it more clear that this is what he was supposed to be. So, we don't know because the flip side of that is it's not uncommon in Judaism to use an introductory phrase, but without actually finishing the full thought. But still intending the full thought. Exactly. Well, so, yeah, I mean, so, so basically we're safe to assume so, but it doesn't make any difference really at the end of the day. It, it doesn't. It just shows that she really is, she wants to dedicate her child to God and it's going to take some unusual form. It's not going to be normal. Right. So, uh, that's, uh, that's what this kind of accomplishes, but also connects us back to that Samson story. And there, there's six major elements that connects us back. I mean, number one, we have barren women. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's pretty obvious from the start. Uh, the husbands play a very negligible role in the events. Sure. They, you know, they just don't have a whole lot to do with the influencing the child. Uh, the vow concerning their hair well, there's, there's not a whole lot mentioned about them influencing <laughs> right. the child i mean yeah no, it's, we would assume there was an influence if it was his father <laughs> right well there is that but it's the mothers who who have the most active role in the interaction with god whether it is through the uh manifestation of the angel of the lord or it's hannah actually going to pray so they're the ones negotiating if you will the spiritual terms of it <laughs> so the fathers were definitely involved in the physical side of things and then probably the day-to-day -day things. Yeah. But, um, but this vow concerning their hair is, is made before they're born for both of them. And the vows imposed on them by another person, with Samson as the angel, with Samuel as his mother. The community in neither place is crying out for deliverance. There, there seems to be no awareness of what's going on as far as what should be happening with the people they aren't asking god to save them right uh samson will begin to deliver the people from the philistines that's part of the promise of the angel mm -hmm. samuel is going to anoint the king who completes that deliverance right so th these are ways that the stories are connected and it tells us we need to be watching the story as we go forward is samuel going to be another samson or is he actually going to be what he was supposed to be so we're in verses 12 and 13. And she continued to pray before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Um, I think that's actually my paraphrase that I just read. Well, yeah, probably. But which I think is kind of funny because most people I know get louder when they get drunk, not quieter. But Well, and drinking would have been part of what was going on there. Mm -hmm. this, this was a temple celebration. You did drink with your family. Uh, you drank before the Lord. You, um, this was a way of celebrating his provision and his abundant provision. And we've talked about this before. You don't have alcohol unless you have excess in the crops. So the fact that when you go to God and you take some of this excess with you to say, we appreciate you giving abundantly mm -hmm. and providing abundantly. Now we're going to enjoy it at this holy place. Would would her husband giving her the larger portion could it mean like he poured her a taller drink? <laughs> you know that I don't know the text doesn't specifically say that since it's two nostrils that he gives her. Uh but uh, you know that could be implied if you've got more meat on your plate then you're going to need a little more, more to, a little more wine to, just to wash, wash it down. down. Yeah. So I don't know maybe we can use that to start measuring wine. <laughs> two nostrils. Have a nostril of wine. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, might make wine a little less appealing. Uh, but this, this verse is really our first clue into Eli's character because he observes her mouth. And as he's observing her mouth, he fails to see her heart. And we're going to see that blindness and the inability to see or not recognize what's going on around him. And we talked about recognition when we talked about Ruth. Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to really be his defining characteristic and he can hear but he cannot see and we're going to see this just reiterated over and over again but what's interesting about hannah's prayer um one aspect of there's a lot of things that are interesting but one aspect is this becomes the model prayer for all of judaism and this becomes the manner in which everyone is supposed to pray now when we talk about 
patriarchal religions. Judaism is one of the first ones that often comes up, Christianity being next. Um, I say I always assumed it was, I've, I've always heard it opposite. Is it Christianity? Because <laughs> because we do, uh, here in the West, we tend to separate them quite a bit in, in yeah. America. And so Christianity is always the first one, but it's really funny because there is, it seems to me, at least with a lot of people I've interacted with, Kind of a reluctance to insult Judaism. Well, true. As to not appear anti Semitic, but they'll use the same, but they'll use the passages to attack Christians, but not From, Jews. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, I, that, I find that to be a little bit interesting. That is an interesting uh, distinction because I, I've always heard that, you know, Judeo Christian beliefs, or we talk about mm-hmm. the fact that they're just in the Old Testament, there is this, this huge patriarchal society. But it's a woman who says, this is how we're going to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sets the standard. And based on her prayer, there's there's a large amount of writing on this uh, when you get into Jewish literature. But three of the things that they pull out of her prayer is that one must pray quietly. The words must be enunciated, but they should not be loud enough for anyone else to hear. So, this becomes part of the, the davening and talking and prayer with God where you know, you, we see that on TV or on movies, if you watch them, where there's kind of like this little mumble, bu- 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 bu, you mm-hmm. know, that you can't really. Yeah. Uh, so, the, it's all goes back to Hannah. Right. And, and Hannah's the one who helps, um, you know, helps totally change the way people pray because she's praying. Not only is she praying in the style, she's praying before the Lord. This is the first time that someone prays before the Lord. Before this, everyone prays to the Lord. And so, the idea that God is intimate and He's close is kind of encompassed in that phrase where when you pray to God, there's this idea that He's he's distant. Yeah. You're sending it off. Yeah. Yeah. And Hannah's really saying, we need you here. We need you present. And like you said, Eli, he, she accuses Hannah of being drunk. But Hannah in verse 15 and 16, she refuses to be dismissed. And she really clarifies that. Uh, she's a trouble. She's troubled of spirit, and that she's been pouring out her soul before the Lord. And um, and she asks Eli says, "Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman." Has how the ESV has it right. And we mentioned that before. The daughter of don't confuse me for a daughter of Leal. Right. And this is going to be significant that Hannah would actually use this phrase, and it's going to come up a little bit later in the chapter. But what I found to be interesting is the Masoretic text does not say that. The Masoretic actually says, do not deliver up your maidservant to the daughter of Bleal. So, wow. Yeah. Very uh, interesting. It is. Well, Zumara, who, one of our sources, uh, he thinks that Bleal is a proper name. He does uphold that. And he refers to um, the daughter of Bleal as the queen of the underworld. And he really bases this on a lot of Mesopotamian religion and Canaanite uh, imagery where this was an idiom uh, for this female character who would take people down to Sheol and destroy them. Hmm. So, he, I, I do like the fact that he is saying it is a proper name because there's not a lot of sources that do that. And given the fact that he is a Eucharitic scholar, it kind of makes me think that he might know what he's talking about right there. One would hope, yeah. Yeah. So, no matter how how we interpret it, whether it's don't confuse me with the daughter of Bleal or don't deliver me to the daughter of Bleal, Hannah is refusing to let Eli define who she is. Right. And she, she's really setting Eli straight. She's, you know, she's saying, this is not who I am. This is what I was doing. And you don't know what you're talking about. It's pretty much, you know, she just gets back in his face. And I think you can see that in the text. If we stop coming at it with, Oh, well, she was being all nice and meek and mild. She was, she was just so sad. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's not sad. And we're going to talk about um, the words she used. The words she used actually don't allow for just sadness. They, they, they encompass more. But Hannah, she, what's so cool about her, she sees Eli. She recognizes who he is. She realizes he can't see her, but she understands that he can hear. Mm-hmm. And so, she actually pushes back against him and says, you're not going to dismiss me. And when she, she talks to him, she says, I've been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation is what the ESV says. Right. Okay. Anxiety is a stupid translation. Let's, let's just put that one out there. 
it should not be. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I'm hearing that. I'm going, man, that is such an anachronistic phrase, even in a translation. Mm -hmm. that It just doesn't seem to fit. Like, it, it, I don't know. So, yeah, well, so weird because it's a phrase we associate with women. Women are anxious little creatures. Uh, it, it's not anxiety. It, it's actually more anguish. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it, it's despair. It, it's not something that's just like oh well, she needs to pull herself together and get over it. It it's a heart condition, and she is um, making a complaint. That's another uh, word that's used here. If you look back at the Hebrew, she's bringing her complaint to the Lord. Mm -hmm. She's saying things aren't right. They need to be fixed, and she says. I want to help you fix it. I, I can help you fix it because what's going on is causing me anguish. It's causing me grief. And it, it, vexation is a good word here. I will give them that because she's frustrated. She's um, annoyed. She's upset. So vexation kind of covers all that. I can go with that one. But she, she's letting Eli know, I'm more than just, you know, having a mental breakdown over here. I'm actually trying to address something that, that's caused me problems. Mm -hmm. And I love verse 17 because you can almost feel Eli just kind of like slink away. You know, he thought he was dealing with a drunk woman and now he realizes he has an angry woman on his hand. <laughs> and he just... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you can go home now, go in peace, go in shalom. Uh, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Notice the difference in the words here. Eli, the God of Israel, Hannah was talking to the Lord of hosts. So, even Eli's view of God isn't as great as, as Hannah's. And Eli almost feels like he's trying to placate her to, to kind of get her to leave so he doesn't have her still in the, in the temple causing problems. Right. But this is the only time that the priest of Yahweh ever blesses an individual. They'll bless families, they'll bless tribes, they'll bless nations. They never, ever again bless an individual. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that this is, um, this, this is what's going on here. So Hannah returns back to her camp. She eats, she is, uh, her appearance has changed, is what the JPS translation had. Uh, and we're, we're reminded of Naomi from Ruth, who, you know, her appearance changes, her, her demeanor is, is so drastically marked by her experience that we have both, you know, where she becomes, goes from Naomi to Mara, back to Naomi, and God blessing her. But they, Elkanah and Hannah go home, they do what married couples do, and God remembers her. And that's what she asked. She asked that God would remember her. And this is to remind us, this child that she's going to conceive, it really is the product of God's supernatural intervention. That it, this is not just something natural that happened. God had to make it happen. But what I th find interesting is when Hannah came back after talking to Eli, nothing had changed yet. But everything had changed. Nothing's actually happened. So you see that demonstration of her faith, the fact that she could go back in joy, despite the fact that she doesn't have any evidence at this point. And she just expects God to keep his word. So when Samuel um, is born because God remembers her, this becomes, uh, this is a huge deal as far as the fact that God's remembering. And what we find is, in Judaism that this becomes a, a passage that's uh, read on uh, Rosh Hashanah, mm -hmm. the day of remembrance. Mm -hmm. And so the story's read then because it's believed that she conceived Samuel on the day of Rosh Hashanah. And yeah, and this is the New Year celebration. It's, yeah. the, it's the head of the year. And so for them to remember a woman who God remembered on this, it, that's really saying something about the place of honor that, that Hannah occupies. It's also fitting because Rosh Hashanah is the day that they celebrate God as king of the universe. And since Samuel is all about kingship, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's also the day of shofar blowing. And the shofar blowing uh, is going to make sense when we get to chapter two. Or, sorry, a little farther. Yeah, chapter two. And we talk about horns. Mm -hmm. And 
The shofar blowing also ties back, and we didn't take time to go back into this, goes into JL and the song of Deborah and mm-hmm. the way the shofar should be, should be blown based off of that story. So the fact that women are, are so much a part of this New Year celebration, I, I think this is something a lot of Christians don't recognize. So anyway, Hannah has a baby, names him Samuel. We can have a million different debates about what Samuel means. Okay. We, the, the name it is so disputed. It can be heard of God, heard from God, one from God. Um, he who has the name of God. Basically, all we know is that God's name, that L at the end, mm-hmm. refers to God. So, if you read someone who says, oh, this is what it means. No, <laughs> they just don't. And I've read a lot of They comments. just picked their favorite. They did. They did. And actually, the name that, that works best here isn't Samuel, it's Saul. Hmm. And this has actually led to some speculation that the Samuel birth narrative was actually Saul's birth narrative, which doesn't make sense in the, in the grand scheme of things, because mm-hmm. if we're going to celebrate a king, then why doesn't David have a birth narrative? Uh, only Samuel has a birth narrative, but that's very telling that Samuel's the one who has the birth story as opposed to the king's. Sure. Because it's the voice of God that's the most important and the most significant. Mm-hmm. So, verse 21, Elkanah takes his household back to Shiloh to pay his vow. Now, we don't know what, what his vow was, because this has nothing to do with Samuel. This is something completely different. And we do know that making and fulfilling vows to God was kind of, it, it was honorable. It was mm-hmm. taking your, your faith and your expression of worship to the next level. Right. So, Elkanah's being presented as a good guy uh, consistently. Yeah. Well, now, I, I was curious because it, it specifically says that Hannah didn't go with him because um, mm-hmm. uh, she didn't go um, with her husband. As soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him to the, uh, so that he may dwell in the presence of the Lord. I'm, I was kind of wondering if that was because there's supposed to be like a, a sacrifice uh, to redeem the firstborn, but... Samuel doesn't have that. I wonder. I was wondering if that's what the text is saying. Uh, there, that does come into play, and S- Hannah is specifically <coughs> refusing to to not redeem Samuel. He he doesn't get that sacrifice. He's not taken to be redeemed as the firstborn. Instead, he he's allowed to go mm-hmm. and serve in the temple, or the, you know, not allowed to go, but he is placed in the temple. Right. Yeah. He's given. He's given to that. Yes, and so Hannah, I think what she's doing here is she's basically saying, I can't go yet because I'm not ready to turn him loose. When it's time to turn him loose, we're going to make one trip. Mm -hmm. And once Mm -hmm. we go, he's not, you know, he's still her son because she actually says that she's going to lend him to God uh, or dedicate or devote or or some of the words that are used to translate the Hebrew there. Mm -hmm. This idea that even though she's turned him over, she's still very much invested in her son as a person. Mm-hmm. So, which, you know, that's, that's appropriate. Um, but in this verse, she's basically saying, you know, I'm going to keep him. And this could be anywhere from two to four years. We, we don't know. Right. Uh, and in many ways, this is mimicking that time when Moses, uh, his mother was the nursemaid. Well, Pharaoh's daughter had adopted mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And so once again, we have that tie to, to Moses and this idea that, values and uh morals and ethics and all of these things uh traditionally and i'm not saying this is literal but traditionally that it was imparted with the mother's milk that this kind of flowed through her into her child during that time but you know you think about the intimacy of nursing a child and the things that you say to a baby while you're nursing them and and you know i've I've had two daughters and these are just part of being a mom and i think you know probably she was even more aware of the things she was saying over him and praying over him, knowing that she was going to relinquish him. And so, she's, she's got a huge vision for this boy. And she, even the fact that she says, before the face of Yahweh, um, people appeared before the face of Yahweh at that annual pilgrimage and at sacred um, assemblies. This is whenever that occurred. And Samuel's whole life was going to be a pilgrimage. It was going to be this journey in front of God. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, nine verses explicitly state that Samuel lived in, before the face of God. 
And again, we'll get that connection back to Moses because in Exodus 33.11 and Deuteronomy 34.10, Moses spoke to God face to face. Yeah. So no, that, that's an interesting connection. I hadn't. Oh, that it, it gets even better. Wait until we <laughs> wait until we get get a little deeper. So Elkanah, you gotta love him. He gives this great reply. He goes, "Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the the Lord establish His word." Um, Elkanah could have annulled Hannah's vow. He he didn't have to support her in this decision, and. Even though she'd made a vow to the Lord, as a woman, her husband had the right to say, mm, not a good idea. That's in Numbers 30, 13. And, you know, it would have been reasonable for him to annul this vow. This is the firstborn son from his favorite wife. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, if he has children from the other wife mm-hmm. who can work whatever, although they don't really have land if they're Levites. So it's not like they're, mm-hmm. it, you know, the temple's kind of the... Or the temple or the synagogue, or, or not synagogue, uh, tabernacle, mm-hmm. that other one. Um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the natural direction that Samuel should go anyway. Right. And so, you just get like extra priestly, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, but think about Jacob. Uh, what would have happened if someone had asked him to give up his, favor- his son from his favorite wife? I mean, think of what he happened when Joseph was supposedly dead. Mm-hmm. He loses his mind. He doesn't want to release Benjamin to go back and get the son who's left behind in Egypt. Right. Basically, you're dead to me because I'm going to keep this one alive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Elkanah and Hannah both are are being presented as just a little better than even the the foundational families of of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so, I I can't really... um, yeah, I can't really wrap my mind around what it would have meant for Hannah to to do this. And yeah, I was thinking about it. Can you imagine going to a church today, taking in a two or four year old, and going, "Hey, I, I devoted this child to God. Um, <laughs> congratulations, he's yours." <laughs> and there's days that that might be tempting for some kids. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Sorry. Yeah. But dark humor. I, well, you know, if you're a parent, you know you have those days. <laughs> the the other thing about Elkanah, not my kids. I mean, they're perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. So <laughs> vows were expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, vow, vows were expensive. Um, so for for Elkanah to to honor Hannah's vow, it says he's willing to even put money and well, and livestock and wealth behind her so that she can fulfill that that vow. Yeah. And so, you know, he's a great guy. There is some con- uh, confusion about may the Lord establish his word. We really don't know what is going on here. Uh, there's, a, there's another possible translation, may the Lord establish your words. So, may God do the things that you've said he should do. Which, which would make sense, but then, I mean, the other... I mean. The the other thing, I, the only other thing I could think of is that maybe saying that God would establish uh, the, uh, the the learning of Torah within Samuel. That's the only thing I can think of. Possibly, but we we don't. Yeah, that's the thing. Again, what do but we? But I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so yeah. Well, no, that that kind of works, but I mean, it, it's it, it's so clear because unclear because God hasn't spoken. I mean, Eli gave the blessing that, you know, this go away, you're, you'll be good, don't bother me anymore kind of blessing. Mm-hmm. But God hasn't spoken. So, it kind of makes you wonder, is the writer being a little coy with us, you know, telling us there's something going on that's beyond the surface of the story? Right. I, I, I think there is because so much is going to come to light. And, you know, we saw that in Judges where we went through the stories of uh, the Levite and Micah and we went through the stories of the Levite and the concubine, where the Levite, their identities were not revealed until we get to the end. So, there's that little kind of gotcha at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening with Hannah here, because there's going to be a gotcha, and it's a good gotcha. But, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, that's just a speculation on my part. Sure. So, um, Samuel in verse 24 through 25, he, he's taken to the temple along with either three bulls or a three-year-old bull. This is another place where the text, we don't know precisely what it says. We do know it's a votive offering. 
And along with the the bull or the bulls, there is an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. Now, to put, give you some context for this, and this is part of the way that translators work through these issues, they took three times the amount of flour and three times the amount of wine needed for a single bowl. Okay. We know that Elkanah is extravagant. He, he likes to give big. Mm-hmm. He, he has these vows that he, of his own that he makes and fulfills. Yeah. So, I lean towards the three bull translation. Because if you're going to bring three times the wine and three times the flour, then why not three times the bulls? Sure. So, okay. I, that's, that, that's my, my take. There, there are other translators who are going to disagree with that. It really doesn't matter. The point is, Hannah's doing the appropriate thing, whether it's one or three, to fulfill this vow. Because at the end of the vow, you have to offer these sacrifices. I mean, Elkanah is doing the. Well, Elkanah and Hannah. Elkanah is doing it through Hannah because this is, Hannah would be the one who would have to offer it because she made the vow. Okay. But Elkanah is the one who, who's getting them there. And he's the one who's making sure they have the ability to actually give it. So, you know, it's a husband wife thing. She's going to present it, but Elkanah is behind it all. So. Okay. Yeah. And. You know, once once the, the bulls are offered, then that's when Samuel is um, presented to Eli. And Hannah, you know, Eli looks at her. He has no idea who she is. She has to tell him who <laughs> she is. Do you remember that one time? <laughs> at band camp? No. Uh, wrong, wrong joke. No. Um, so, she knows that it won't be enough for Eli to see her. He, she has to, um, he has to be told. And she actually repeats back. To Eli, almost verbatim, the um, the blessing that he gave her, mm-hmm. and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to Him. It, it's the same words, and this is when Hannah makes the speech about lending him to God, Samuel to God, mm-hmm. and the idea that she's still going to be connected to her son, even if she's not going to be there every day. So the writer has has moved us through this first chapter with an opening story that ties us right back to Judges. And he's introduced us to this barren woman that takes us right back to Genesis. And then he he introduces this entirely new prayer and this new set of events that's never happened before in Israel. So, just when you thought you were getting comfortable with the familiar, the writer goes, wait, there's more. We're going to change things right here with, with this woman. And so, the whole chapter, like I said, pointed out, it, it's, it's full of first. And he's introduced us to leadership that can hear, but they can't see. But they still retain the ability to speak with authority on God's behalf. And we have one of the, the, the really good first of this. We, this is the first time we have a woman who just stands up and says, this is what I want. She doesn't resort to deception or games. She just goes to God. Mm-hmm. and. Then we have this child of promise that's born into a family of extravagant obedience and worship. Mm-hmm. And they, they go above and beyond over and over again. And then we close this chapter with this woman offering this child to the leadership that can't see. And this should put you on edge because, I mean, why in the world? Would she leave her child in such a corrupt, uh, corrupt place? And I think a lot of times when we read the story, we, we don't see what's going on. But I think even the writer says, okay, if you can't see it, then can you hear? Mm-hmm. And that's how we open up chapter two. And because in chapter two, we open up with Hannah's prayer. Now, I want to talk a little bit about it before we go into what's going on with this prayer. Uh, this is verses 1 through 10. This is called one of the 10 great prophetic songs ever written. And it's a series of prophecies about the miracle of salvation and what that looks like when God's kingdom is in place. Mm-hmm. Habakkuk, uh, he begins the third chapter of his book with the same word that, that is translated as prayer here. So, this is not just a woman praying. This is a prophetic word. If we're going to discount Hannah's is just being a prayer and therefore can't be prophetic, then we're going to have to go back and say, well, Habakkuk, his prayer can't be prophetic. And so, again, that consistency that I'm always pushing for, let's, let's be 
across the board. Right. Uh, Psalms 113 has a lot of the same imagery. Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke um, 146 through 56, is going to pick up again on the same imagery, and her song's going to be patterned very much after, um, after this song here. And so, Hannah, we're going to kind of walk through this because I want to I want to kind of take apart some of the pieces here. Okay. Before we get to that, yeah. I just want to clarify. Okay. So, in Habakkuk, it says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, and then so for chapter three. Oh, chapter three. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, that was just, I thought you said it was chapter one. No, chapter three. Okay. Yeah, the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. okay, there it is. Okay. Yeah. So I was wondering if in one play, like I was like that's very, very weird. I could, so I was. Sorry, I missed the chapter marking. No, so yeah. like, do they decide to translate an oracle right. versus prayer? Because that would be really weird. Um, well, and, and we've seen that. And, you know, I'm thinking that when I get a new Bible, I'm going to have to uh, actually change translations, which I hate because I've loved my ESV, but I'm finding things in it that are bothering me. Right. We're going to get a letter from the ESV committee, quit bashing our Bible. Uh, so <laughs> for the most part it's a really good translation i loved it I, I really did and it's only been as i've been getting you know kind of really deep in the weeds that i'm finding things that are irritating but anyway so uh but we're gonna yeah we're gonna go through hannah's song and we're gonna or her prayer uh it's both it encompasses a prayer prophecy a song all of these things uh poetry you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's all there um but she begins by expressing her, her joy. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Um, she is focused on God. She is not talking about herself other than the, the joy she experienced from God. She's actually very passive in, in this passage, and I think it comes across more in the Hebrew, that um, you know, God has raised her up. In the Lord, her horn is raised. And by the way, horn is a symbol for authority. And so she's saying, my authority has been raised up in the Lord. Um, she delights in his deliverance. Yeah, in the, the ESV, it says strength in the JPS. It says, I have triumphed in the Lord. I gloat over and instead of horn. Okay. So, yeah, it's... The fact that, that God has done this for her is the important part, and she's recognizing that he has moved on her behalf, mm-hmm. and it's not anything she did of herself. And so, she, um, she's being very exuberant, very much like Deborah. When Deborah talks, remember, Deborah kind of taunts JL's, I'm sorry, uh, Cicero's mother in her prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannah, actually, where it says... Um, my mouth derides my enemies. It's actually my mouth has enlarged. Uh, she's boasting. She's taunting. My mouth is wide is what it says in the, <laughs> JPS. the JPS footnote here. Well, I also think it's the my horn is high. Now, in that one, we're pretty certain that that one is uh, like the bull imagery. Is that what we're after on the uh, horn? Or is it or would it be like blowing more, the shofar and triumph? More of the shofar. Okay. That's, that's part of why it's connected back to that Rosh Hashanah. Okay. So, okay. yeah, and it, whenever we talk about the horn, I mean, the horn is blown to gather the troops. We saw that with Ehud, whenever he, he blew it to gather the, the armies. We also see it with Gideon. So, it's, it's the idea of being able to bring people together to, to accomplish something. Okay, okay. So, yeah, she, she's saying something very specific about herself, that she has the ability to, to change the course of nations here. And it's not because she's so great, but it's because God is great and God has been gracious to her. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. yeah. And now, a lot of the um, commentators will, will sometimes, they will say that this is a point of concern, that she's, she's taunting and she's boasting over her enemies, because they see her enemies as being Penina, the, the second wife. Um, I think if you read from through the whole thing that the yeah yeah the enemy isn't a personal enemy this is an enemy of God right and and we have we have mocking language in the Psalms of God towards we have mocking language enemies yeah and the prophets I mean it's throughout and you know was it when Jesus is going to make a display he's going to parade them uh, his enemies and make a display of his victory. I, this is part of 
the war language that is very much in keeping of the t- with the time. So, in verse 2, we, we shift focus. We, we stop talking about Hannah, and at this point, nothing in the song, and I want to reiterate this, nothing in the song from this point on is about Hannah herself. And despite what people want to tell you, because there is a verse in here, people are going to say, oh, well, that has to be about Hannah. It's not. Um, her focus on God, she, she says that God is holy. There's none beside him. He's a rock. And all of these are quotes from the Torah. Uh, he, he is now our God, the nation's God. He's not just the God of Hannah. So she's moving to an encompassing language that's signifying she's going to be speaking to all who can hear her. And verse 3, she kind of narrows the, the perspective back down, but she's addressing somebody in the crowd. And she's talking to the other worshipers at Shiloh and the people there at the temple. And she's saying, talk no more so very proudly. Let no more arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So somebody in the temple is behaving this way. They're saying these things, and she's putting them on notice. She, she is not just speaking this to be speaking this. There's somebody who needs to hear this word. Mm-hmm. So, verses 4 and 5, she describes this series of reversals. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven children, but she who has many children is forlorn. Okay, this, these are reversals. Mm-hmm. This is not those who were hungry will also be fed. Right. Those who were... Um, feeble are also strong she she's saying if you had these things they're going to be taken away from you so even if you had kids you're going to have the kids taken away from you uh, this is the one verse on kids is the verse that everybody says oh well this is talking about hannah she goes on to have seven sons and and this is going to be what she gets out of the experience okay Later on, we're going to find out that Hannah does have more kids, but she only has six kids. She doesn't have seven kids. So, this verse doesn't apply to her. Right. And this is bigger than just Hannah. Now, verses six through seven, they focus on God's sovereignty over this life and the next. And he is the creator and the king of, of the world, and he gave you, gave you your life. You have the right, he has the right to take your life. Yeah, no, I, I, I find it interesting with this prophecy being so well-known and with it being so, such a foundational part of the celebrations that they would do every year mm-hmm. that there would be a sect of Judaism later, the Sadducees, that didn't believe in resurrection. Right. Because it specifically says he goes into Sheol, which... I actually, who was it I was listening to? I, I want to say it was Tim Mackey. Sounds right. I like Tim. He's cool. <laughs> uh, I would the Bible love, Project. For Bible Project, you. yes. I, I would love to hang out with him. He seems like he'd be so fun to just go grab some coffee with. Um, but anyway, so Tim, if you're in Oklahoma, hit us up. Uh, right. <laughs> Standing invitation. <laughs> yeah. Um, come come over. We'll, we'll cook for you. Anyway, uh, he, now he was talking about how a lot of times our, our imagery of, of hell comes into things when we hear the word shield. But really, at this point, it just means the grave. Right. It just means the, wherever the dead people are, mm-hmm. God's going to raise them up. Yeah. Because we, we think about the grave and there's, that's the end of the line, you know, mm-hmm. in, in their thinking. And the, a lot of the imagery we get about hell gets pasted on you know, later on in, in history. Yeah, and a lot of the, our imagery actually comes from Dante, and you know, which mm-hmm. was a lot later than this writing. Yeah. And what, what's interesting here is Hannah is actually refuting a lot of ancient Near Eastern beliefs about Sheol because every god who, almost every god, because I'm sure there's one out there with all the stories that I've missed, that they had to have some kind of helper, and usually it was a female helper who, who took people down to Sheol. God doesn't need that. He does it himself. Right. He's the one who carries it out. But more than that, he can do what the other gods can't do. He can bring you up from the grave. And so, she really is declaring that he 
he is sovereign right over everything right and this is also kind of interesting because it says he deals death Mm -hmm. i mean there are so many people in the church today and i i've gotten in uh, (laughs) arguments online with people who say well god doesn't kill death isn't isn't what god does right and i'm like no there are literally verses in the bible we're getting ready to come to one (laughs) god deals death god killed Mm -hmm. and and I mean, even go back to Exodus. We've talked about mm-hmm. this before. That was one of those things that blew my mind when you mentioned it, which is that, you know, there's not, God doesn't send an angel of death. He says, tonight I will, you know, he's like, I will walk amongst the Egyptians mm-hmm. and, and take their firstborn. You know, that's, that's it's some, brutal. That's some like, <laughs> ugh, some, well, give you the, give you the chills. You know, when, when all you've seen is the, the kind of sleepy eyed Jesus uh, holding the lamb, to to recognize yeah, the that one whose feet don't quite touch the ground. Yeah, yeah, know. and we're supposed to have this awe kind of moment with him. You know, I live a kind of life where I don't need a God that I go ah. I need a God who's going to make me go ah. You know, that's yeah. well, and 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 again, it's really funny though. That uh, this is one of those areas where it's just <laughs> it's that twisted logic mm-hmm. that that people go into, where the people who would reject that it was actually God that he sent an angel of death mm-hmm. are the same ones who reject this divine counsel type of worldview where God has people who carry things out for him. <laughs> this is true. It's, it's just funny to me that the, it's the same people who will confirm and deny. It's just pick and choose. Yeah. It, it's, it's what fits your theology. Yes. What makes so, you feel good? Well, anyway, and we'll- so I'm, I'm going to get off my hobby horse on that one, but that's just, funny to me i just want to kind of point out that irony we're we're actually going to get ready we're going to hit a verse um i don't know if we're gonna get to this episode but very quickly where it pleases god to kill someone Mm. and so that that's getting ready to happen Uh, and so this this fits and this whole song fits with what's getting ready to happen but people miss it so you know verse seven and eight even the social order is is God's to to invert and to to change as He wishes. I mean, He controls the pillars of the earth. So, what's the what are the pillars of society to Him? He doesn't care. He moves them in ways that please Him. And nine and ten security is only found in faith and in the faithfulness because God defends the faithful. Strength isn't just for someone who prevails. It strength is belongs to someone that God empowers because anyone that god is not empowering it doesn't matter how strong they are on their own they can't match him Mm -hmm. and so this is what hannah is uh is celebrating so the verse says the adversaries of the lord shall be broken to pieces against him he will thunder in the heaven so the power of his will is going to be heard not from the heavens not like the sky heaven but from heaven that divine realm that he is going to to scatter and shatter his enemies just by the power of his voice. It's not even something he has to come and personally visit on anyone. He can just decree it and it's going to happen. But verse 10, the last part, says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Okay, judging the world, I think we, can, we, we don't need any help with that one. But strength to his king. This is happening in a time when in Israel, those days, <laughs> there was no king, and yeah. everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There, there's no king yet, and so this is what makes Hannah's song prophetic as far as the immediate time that she's living in and the circumstances that God is going to address in this moment. Mm-hmm. But it also has a much more far-reaching application because prophecy doesn't work at one level. It works at multiple levels. Right. And there's often this immediate application, but then there's also this future eternal application that, that's so much greater than just for that moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Hannah's song, things just got real. She's basically saying all the chaos and the abuses that are going on at Shiloh, they're going to stop because God's going to send a king that's strong enough to make them stop. Mm-hmm. And She's going to say, you know, she's saying the the leadership and the, uh, <laughs> the kids, uh, the leadership. Kids are home today. Sorry about that. <laughs> Go ahead. But, but the leadership and the spiritual, um, the spiritual powers that be 
have got to come into alignment with what God wants, and He's going to accomplish it, and it's not going to continue happening, not on her watch anymore, because she stood up and she's asked to be participating in God's new deliverance from the oppression that's been going on under the spiritual leadership at Shiloh. Mm -hmm. And now, the thing is, we already mentioned that the horn is a symbol of authority, mm-hmm. but he exalts the horn, the, the authority of his anointed. In Hebrew, that's Mashiach, and which mm-hmm. is where we get our Hebrew, our English word Messiah, right. or in Greek, it's Christos, Christ. So, mm-hmm. she is prophesying that God's going to send a Messiah, and he's going to accomplish all these things, because even though the immediate context is David is going to become the king, we know that all of these reversals don't happen under David. Right. They aren't going to happen until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. he reigns over the, the world in glory and power and fullness, all of the nations witnessing him being king, that's when these things that Hannah prophesied will come to pass. Before that, they, only, they get hinted at. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see how they get hinted at and they get started with Eli and his sons. But we're going to realize that this isn't enough. Right. Because eventually the kingdom's going to fall into disrepair and the kings are going to wander away from the true God. And we're going to be right back to where we started with judges mm-hmm. and all of the violence and all the corruption. So we've got this prophecy placed in the mouth of a woman. If women aren't supposed to teach, why in the world is God announcing his, his intentions through this woman? Right. Yeah. And when, why has he allowed her words to be preserved? Yeah. And you've got to remember, too, this all goes back with Samson, and Samson was the one who was going to begin to deliver the people from the Philistines. Mm -hmm. Samuel, Hannah's son, is going to be the one who anoints the king who will complete that. But she, she needs a son not because she wants somebody to do the things that a son normally do. She needs a son because she recognizes the injustice. She sees mm-hmm. what's going on at Shiloh. If she did know that concubine that was married to the Levite, which was possible because, I mean, Levites were all cousins. Sure. Then they're from the same place. Can you imagine what she was feeling? Now we understand why she was anguished, mm-hmm. what the vexation was. They, we understand why she needed to speak out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why there needs to be another another deliverance. And, you know, the thing is, Hannah's outside the system. She's not part of the temple program because she is a barren woman. She, she can see what's going on within it because she is an outsider. And that's the reason why Moses could see what was going on in Egypt. Yeah, which is, which is actually another characteristic of the prophets mm-hmm. are those who are outside of the system and speak to it. Right. Um, so now one, one thing I want to kind of mm-hmm. touch on here is, you know, we often talk about when God speaks, it's often not what people are expecting. <laughs> Very rarely. Okay. So, and also, I, and based on kind of what we were looking at with how Israel interacted with um, the Philistines mm-hmm. and the fact they were upset with Samson, mm-hmm. that he was starting trouble. Yeah. I kind of wonder if, that first bit of he will begin the deliverance is going to be kind of putting that burr under the saddle of the Philistines and exposing <laughs> them that for that they're not Israel's friends because yeah. it seemed like the people were just like, we're hey, cool with this. We're good with this, which, you know, um, which kind of makes me just wonder so much more about um, the church's relationship to politics in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I'm going to say about it, but let's go, <laughs> you know, Right, for the right or the left. It just, Mm -hmm. anyway, but that's, yeah. that was just something I'm curious about. And I I know we don't necessarily have a definitive answer, but that's, to me, that's kind of what it looks like when you put the whole picture back together. Well, you you have to have those outside voices. And I think this is one of the reasons why I've always been, I listen to critiques of the church and Christianity particularly from people who are outside looking in, because I recognize they do have a different perspective. Now, are they always right? No, I think we have to, to evaluate that. And, we, and sometimes we just have to go, okay, this is how it appears, and we need to deal with the appearance issue. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. or not this is actually what's going on, we, we do need to do that. 
But Hannah being this outsider, stepping up and saying, hey, there's a problem here that none of the men, not even my own husband, is speaking up. Where, where it was Elkanah during all of these events? What was he doing? Was he just kind of, okay, you know, let's happen and over here, I'm over there. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's from the hill country of Ephraim where the city of Gibeah is. Right. So, w- what was he doing? And we don't know these answers, but Hannah feels like there there's needs to be some kind of redress because remember in Judges, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of guys who died in a war, but there was no oh there's no progress. Right. Nobody is actually stepping up and going, We 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 have to change how we're doing things. We're just going to make the same mistake and we're going to make a big make it bigger and we're going to do it on a national level instead of just on an individual level. And, you know, we compare her to Moses because Moses is the only one who realizes, hey, I'm an outsider. I'm a stranger in a strange land. I, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And so this is where she has that connection again. But, you know, Moses felt like he was powerless because the Hebrews had rejected him. He wasn't really a true prince of Egypt. And Hannah, she feels like she's powerless, and yet she does the one thing that nobody would expect of her. She's asked God to help her overturn a corrupt system mm-hmm. to create a new exodus, and she recognizes, and this is what I love about her, she's wise enough to know that as a woman, she can't do it on her own, but she says, if you let me do what a woman can do, I can be a part of this, and God gives her a son who's a judge, a prophet, a priest, and a kingmaker. Mm-hmm. And she she recognizes, hey, I don't have to, you know, try to just rail against my limitations. I can look for those places that I can still engage in and act to make this change. Sure. And I think that's wise. That that shows you how wise this woman really is because so often I see people, oh well I I, I don't have any power. I can't do anything. And instead of finding the things they can do, even within their limited circumstance, they, they just whine about it. Hannah goes to God and says, help me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the lessons we need to take away from it. Go to God, help me. How do I take my little bit of ability here and turn it into something greater? Yeah. And, and that, that's what she's doing. So, uh, this is why the prayer is not a prayer of thanksgiving for herself. Uh, you know, there's no... Uh, oh, thank you, God, for giving me the baby. Thank you for remembering me. This is straight up prophecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see how this prophecy actually, it's going to happen in, Hannah, you know, in Hannah's day. And, but it's also going to continue to unfold. And we're still waiting for the fulfillment, the already not yet sure. mindset that's going on. So, um, her prophecy really does set the 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 tone for how the world's going to change. Mm-hmm. And it begins with this woman who wants a son, but not a son for herself. And that puts her even being greater than Abraham because Abraham wanted the son for himself. She wants the son for the nation. Cool. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. It, it's, it's a great, it, it's a great story. And I, this is where I like us to actually, you know, see that everything Hannah's doing is, is it, it's bold. Yeah. And it's brave. And she's not just some, you know, hand wringing, oh, I wish I had a baby. She she really yeah. has a vision for the nation, not just for herself. And so I I love that because yeah. so often we're told, Oh, you just need to be a wife and mother and Hannah's like, I will do that, but it's just a means to an end. Yeah. So <laughs> just be part of the revolution. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. I think that's probably a good place to break as any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if uh, you liked what you heard or found it encouraging or informative, please like us mm-hmm. on uh, Facebook, share us on iTunes, no, share us on Facebook, <laughs> rate us on iTunes. Subscribe, however, comment. however the technologies work. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. Be part of the conversation. Ravencreeksc.com or Ravencreeksc on all the social media. Um, Patreon uh, is always a good way to help us out. It's not required, but we do appreciate mm-hmm. it. And um, now that the holidays are over, we plan on getting a little bit ahead on recording so we can actually get you some more bonus content. Right. <laughs> um, I think we're four behind. So whenever 
whenever we do get caught up, we're, you're going to be getting a couple bonus episodes a month. We promise we will make that up to you. Um, <laughs> we just, I, I'm, I'm finally getting caught up uh, on my editing so that we can actually get it going. And that will be there. Um, but if you don't want to spend money um, for more content, that's totally fine too. Share it with a friend and uh, mm-hmm. we'll be glad for, for any support we can get. So thank you for being here. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.